This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Johnny, and welcome to Invest Like a Boss podcast, episode one. I'm here with Sam Marks. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. It's great to be back with you. Uh, I guess this officially counts as round two for our podcast, but something I find extremely exciting that I'm uh, super pumped about. So, Yeah, so a big brief background on how this started is Sam was on my podcast as a guest, the Travel Like a Boss podcast. We were talking about traveling around the world, being location dependent, building businesses. And Sam had the idea that he wanted to start a podcast all about investing. And can you kind of tell us why you had that idea? Yeah, definitely. So uh, I've, historically, I've been a good entrepreneur and a horrible investor. And I've been investing, I guess, since I was 18 in all different types of th- things, mostly traditional types of just stocks and bonds. And when I sold uh, our last company in 2013, I had a big windfall, which put me immediately on kind of the full-time investor, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> mindset, right? Uh, figuring out how to manage that money. And when you look around, all the people that we know are generally entrepreneurs, right? And um, not hardcore investors. So the only real investment, uh, s- successful investors I know are kind of either much older generations that are used to more traditional investments or typical like financial advisors, right? that are also quite, in my mind, outdated and uh, and uh, really boring, right? So now there's just tons of new different instruments that you can use. And I was, oh, in 2013, I just started diving into things. Um, and I'm just, I've really become fascinated with all the different digital platforms that are out there, but also how little knowledge m- most people have on it. Most people are still just simply giving the money to a financial advisor or now maybe putting it in, in Vanguard or something like that. But there's a plethora of things uh, that are available and, and that's um, that's what I think we'll be able to really dive into on in this Invest Like a Boss podcast. So the reason why I was so excited when you first gave me the idea and you said, hey Johnny, let's, let's do this, is because I'm finally at a point now with my businesses where I have enough money that's just sitting in the bank where mm-hmm. I figure, you know what, why is it just sitting there? Let me invest it. But there's so much information out there, so much contradictory information. Mm-hmm. You know, we, with the kind of advent of free information, uh, you know, great books, you know, we kind of realize things like mutual front f- funds are all BS. You know, most financial advisors have no idea what they're talking about. They're just kind of ripping us off with fees. Mm-hmm. And now there's all these new platforms uh, to invest in. And, being able to sit down with someone and pick their brains for an hour that might be worth you know millions of dollars and they have you know uh, all this money that they've actually invested themselves I think that tells us more about what really works or at least they believe works than you know reading um, 
you know, we're watching some uh, some financial uh, TV show or, or times. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple points on on that. The, I think one of the the major game changing books I've read in the last two years was was uh, actually Tony Robbins' new book, Money Master the Game. And as big as it was, and as even though maybe eighty percent of that book was just kind of rhetoric and rah-rah and let's you know make a move. There was some really, really good takeaways. And one of the great takeaways is what you said about financial advisors. Immediately after reading that book, I got rid of one of my managed uh, brokerage accounts. I looked up every one of the funds they had me invested in per the recommendation of the book. Uh, it gives you a couple of refer- resources and to look up what they have you in. And it's amazing. Like it just immediately called bullshit on everything my advisor has been telling me for the last three years. So I folded that account. And what you meant being able to sit down with somebody and, and talk to them about something specific that they know about investing that no one else knows or you can't really get from reading books. And I, I think back to me and your com- first conversation maybe ever was at the pool probably a year ago at Siri. And we were just having a small chat and you asked me about you know investing in properties here because you had heard I owned a couple of properties here. And that led me into asking uh, some of investment things that you did, which were like peer-to-peer lending, right? Mm-hmm. And those are two just, you know, if you can dive into someone who does peer-to-peer lending and can make 10, 12% returns with minimum time, and you can dive into someone like me who's bought four different uh, apartment units in this building, and I can be extremely transparent in the real returns, how much time it takes to manage them, how you can get started, how you can get good deals. That type of thing, like imagine, we were always talking about, imagine if we had a mastermind of like 10 people like that, how your investment profile would change instead of just simply putting money into maybe a Vanguard fund or handing it to a, to a wealth advisor. Yeah. So, so as a disclaimer, neither Sam or I are financial advisors. <laughs> That's probably a good place to yeah. start. <laughs> nor do we want to be. I, I don't want to be one. Mm. Uh, I want, and nor do I want to hire one now right. after knowing all, all the things that we know. Yeah. So kind of just to give a very brief background of, of who both of us are, uh, I am an entrepreneur and I was broke two and a half years ago. I had $200 in my bank account. Started a bunch of businesses. Now I'm worth about a quarter million in, I guess, what you say, net, net, net wealth, net wealth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. It and, just, just shows we're <laughs> entrepreneurs and not financial advisors. Yeah, right? <laughs> and most of it is just sitting in a checking account, mm-hmm. getting zero interest, and that's why I'm so interested uh, in investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Sam uh, is a bit younger than me. Uh, I'm 34. How old are you, Sam? Now? 31. 31. Yeah. And a few years ago, you made your big exit. Mm-hmm. So you you are a proper multimillionaire mm-hmm. with you know millions in investments. Versus I am the the kind of the opposite. So listen to me if you want to kind of know how to get started. Uh, and your you know your net worth is let's say uh, less than a hundred thousand. You mm-hmm. want to invest kind of smaller uh, smaller chunks of money. And then Sam's gonna have not only more total investments, but you're gonna have he's gonna have. The, the capital to invest in kind of the bigger projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's, that's always fascinated me over the, the last decade really is how to manage investments at different wealth levels, right? So everyone's been at zero before and most people have gotten to 10,000 before. And then, you know, over the course of your life, most people get to 100,000 before. So how does your investment profile change with that type of money? And then how's it change when you get to a million and then 10 million and then possibly 100 million? And, you know, a lot of the, the, uh, the advice that's out there from financial advisors or books you read, they talk about investing like it, 
no matter what wealth you have, right? But at different wealth levels, it becomes different. Your your risk tolerance becomes different. And these are all things that, of course, you know, we're learning about right now as we kind of scale up uh, in our own wealth. So I, I think one thing that will be excellent on this podcast is being able to talk to specialists and people that have also been on that ladder and how their investment profiles have changed as, as they've grown their wealth. And what I'm really excited about is hearing where do they actually had their money. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest takeaways I got from Tony Robbins' book is when he interviewed Warren Buffett and he shared the letter saying, when I pass, what I want my wife mm-hmm. and my kids to invest in. Mm-hmm. And you know Warren Buffett's the you know one of the the best investors in the world. But in his letter, he said, "Do not invest in stocks. Mm-hmm. You know, I want you to only invest in uh, these in uh, index funds." Mm-hmm. And the reason why he said that is because he knows that ninety nine point nine percent of people are going to lose money in the stock market, right. including his own blood. Absolutely. Yeah. So one thing about Tony Robbins uh, and that book, uh, and one of the reasons why we can't just say, oh, just read that book and then you're going to be set, mm-hmm. is even in that book, even though there's some of the best information out there, there's you know uh, interviews with 50 different uh, you know, multi-millionaire, billionaire investors, uh, even then it's kind of it's hard to listen to everything he says because you know most of what he says is completely true, but at the same time, Tony Robbins definitely has his own agenda. Mm-hmm. He was really pushing us towards Stronghold Financial. Yep. Uh, and he was really, you know, pushing us toward this like magic um, all seasons portfolio. Mm-hmm. And I actually just got an email today. It's great timing uh, from it's called game changing news from Tony Robbins, mm-hmm. where now uh, that Stronghold and Financial either merged or got bought out by another company called Creative Planning. Okay. And now Tony Robbins is pushing this. Yeah, yeah. I also noticed one of the tools that he had suggested to look up your different mutual funds and see what the real. Um, uh, expense ratios of them were it was free but for about three months and now if you go in and try to put in a mutual fund in there now it's like a hundred dollar a month paid subscription or something so but there was I mean I hadn't even heard the word REIT until he said it in that book um, and I had also not and interesting enough I had um, right after we sold the business my dad had suggested put some money in annuities and every single advisor I asked who said you're an idiot for doing that, right? That's for people about to retire. It's for ultra conservative. So these annuities I bought were a couple of them were fixed rate around three mm-hmm. percent, and a couple of them were market linked, which Tony Robbins loves in his book, right? So I did this all before the book came out, and it was really great confirmation when he said that was one of the highest uh, value things that he thought that everyone should have in their portfolio. And over the last three years these annuities these boring insurance annuities have crushed my other investments and they're and they're completely risk-free they're they're way safer than having money in a bank um so you know there's things like that that no one thinks of right because if you're 30 years old people would just totally frown on you for putting money in annuities it's a life insurance policy trying to grow your wealth these have totally and they're tax deferred right Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things there like you can't always listen to what what people say that have their own agenda so Mm -hmm. and the other one was uh was REITs he loved these uh, these senior care REITs, mm-hmm. and I've picked up some REITs since then, and they're some of my favorite investments. Every quarter, you get an email saying, "We're paying out a dividend. Do you want cash or do you want more equity?" It's like it's great. It's like nice. a, it's like a real paycheck coming in, right? So, so let's actually dedicate this first mm-hmm. episode to everything that you're doing. So uh, we we can talk more about what what I'm doing yep. in episode two. Sure. But right now, I'm just I think everyone's going to be interested in you know the big players, right? Mm-hmm. So even if people listen to this. 
you know, don't have a million net worth yet, but they want to get there. This is, you know, what we want to kind of look forward to, uh, kind of have in the back of our mind while, while we're working way up there. Mm -hmm. All right. So, uh, how did you kind of get started with all this? I mean, like, like, right, like right when you got that big, uh, that big paycheck after, after selling your business, what, like what then? Did you take a big break before you started investing or did you jump in right away? Yeah. So that was, um, people always wonder what happens like when you have a big exit, right? And for us, it was, we had an immediate windfall where literally the day on the contract is signed and the day the press release goes out is the day that the money hits your bank account. It hits the company bank account and, and is the same day distributed. So that day I received a, a big windfall of money um, and then had small payments come in over the next couple of years. So immediately I went from basically having zero in my, my bank account to, to uh, 10 figures, right? And at that point, the money's just sitting in my Bank of America checking account. Like I called my bank and I'm like, you know, my bank account never had more than like 15 grand in it. So I have to call my bank. I'm like, is it okay? Like <laughs> what happens when that money goes in? Like, you know, make sure it's not gonna get lost. And I'll tell, I'll, I'll just advise everyone that I had a very unique experience through some of some of the people I knew growing up who had made money also as entrepreneurs. And I knew somebody that had made a lot of money and was holding it in overseas bank accounts, not for tax reasons, just because he didn't trust the US banks. Well, he had $15 million in the Bank of Cyprus. And one morning he woke up and the news was on and there's breaking news that Bank of Cyprus was going belly up. And he lost 14 million nine hundred thousand dollars and got he got one hundred thousand dollars back like and it's crazy that people forget about that like it was literally the greatest theft of banking ever like on a private level so i've always been extremely i would say risk adverse to these type of things or at least open-minded to the fact that a bank's not safe okay your fdic insurance in the u.s like if that ever has to kick in, the U.S. is in so much trouble that the money that you're going to get paid back with is worth like zero, right? So I was in an immediate rush, like get my money out of that bank. Like I just don't don't trust banks at all. And what what's worse than actually if you lose money investing in yourself or a friend or, or something, you know, that's one thing. If you have money in a bank and it just disappears, that I don't know if there's anything to be worse than that. So immediately I was just looking, okay, like spread out my money. So I, I opened several bank accounts. Um, I put a lot of money in managed with my managed financial advisors that I set up pretty quickly. Um, I came over to Thailand, uh, and you know you have like this six month kind of wind down from the other business and all the legal and accounting and stuff you have to go through. And then um, I immediately spent like the next year of my life just trying to figure out how to spread this stuff as safely as possible because I just didn't want to. At that point, it was like I had a big windfall, but you don't want to ever see your, your net worth going down, right? I don't care what level you're at. And so I, I just started spreading out and making it as, as sound of uh, investments that I could, but I'm also extremely curious. Mm -hmm. And for me, if I read a book, I don't learn. But if I practice something, I can learn it a lot better than the next person. So I started making a lot of investments, say around like 50 grand, just to learn something, not thinking I'd necessarily make money, being okay with the fact that I possibly could lose money mm -hmm. just from not having you know total dedication to it um, and not doing the proper due diligence but you know investing in different types of things and different types of people structures and stuff it makes it forces you to learn something so so that's been kind of the last two years of my life I've um, I just uh, actually before this podcast we started I'd look I have over 40 investment vehicles or accounts 
I have over 60 investments of five figures or more. So there's a lot going on there on almost on a daily level. But but even now, I mean, to manage my total investments takes only an hour or two a day. So I'm, I'm spread very thin across across a wide, uh, a broad uh, level of investments. And each day I'm learning a little bit more, a little bit more about all of them. So nice. A lot of great takeaways from that. Mm-hmm. So first, I've actually never heard of the terms windfall or uh, <laughs> 10 figures until today. I had to actually do the math and figure out, okay, 10 figure, because the biggest dream was getting getting paid a six figure salary. Yeah. And, then, and I've never had that, by the way. Yeah. I've never had, I've never what, been paid like, a six What was the biggest, salary. yeah, what was your highest salary job you ever had? Um, I was taking from the business. I was never making more than forty thousand. So I would say forty thousand. I've never made from an actual salary position. This would go back to I had a salary position as a senior in college that was paying me fifty thousand dollars a year, um, basically doing marketing for a, a startup. And then I was p- making about the same out of college. Um, and then when we started. Skysig and Skysig started making some money. Mm-hmm. I was make I was taking like two thousand dollars a month and then three thousand. But even when we were making you know millions of dollars a month, I was never making taking more than fifty thousand. That's smart. You guys are just reinvesting everything. Yeah, reinvesting, and it was also nice. Like I could of course live a lot of my life off the business. Okay. you know my rent and stuff. So it wasn't like I was, I was, um, yeah, I, I had a nice lifestyle on the business basically, okay. but uh, but yeah, I was never, I was, I've never received big paychecks like in my that. life, right? So let's do the math, okay? Mm-hmm. So six figures is a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. seven figures is a million, mm-hmm. which is my next goal. I'm never, I haven't hit that yet. Eight figures would be ten million. No, se- no, 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 seven figures is a million. Okay, eight figures is ten million. Ten million, yeah. Wait, so yeah, I didn't make eight figures. I made seven figures. Okay, seven no, no, figures. I know I made eight figures, made eight not eight, nine, nine figures. Not, not ten figures. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Our bi- <laughs> no, I'm, I'm misspoken. Our business sold for nine figures. Okay, that's what it is. Business okay. sold for nine figures. I made eight figures out of it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Big difference there. And yeah. I, I, But this kind of just shows yeah. that we are just normal people. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, you were under 30 when this happened. And yeah. you, you know, and we we're both in our early 30s. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, how many people do we know that are that's our age that... You know how many how many podcasts are there that you would have investment podcasts that you'd still be listening to eighteen minutes in, mm-hmm. because you know without them, you know being over your head with, you know these financial technical terms. Mm-hmm. You know this is I mean I like that we don't know it all and and I think one of the goals for this podcast is for everyone to you know along you know that are listening along to be able to grow with us mm, definitely, yeah and I I've got advice when I was young that has always stuck with me and that was being an American. It's, it's very difficult to get really wealthy at, at this point. Unless you're, you know, there's, for the people that are getting super wealthy, it's never been easier. You build a business, it has no revenue, you get bought out by Google for a billion dollars, right? But if you're actually earning income, it's extremely hard to build wealth, right? Because you're getting taxed on a global level. Now, people from other countries in Europe, if they're working outside, they can essentially make their money tax-free to some degree. But growing up in the US, one of my mentors early on told me, we knew a guy that was making a million dollars a year. My mentor was much more wealthy than that because he had made all of his money through capital gains. He's like, the only way to get really wealthy, like somewhere in the middle of your life, not not at the end, is to make money through capital gains, build something and sell something, invest in something and make a big, a big gain on that, right? 
because we're looking at this guy that he's making a million dollars a year, but he's living in New York. He's paying over 50% in taxes by the time you pay sales tax, state tax, federal income tax, right? And then living in New York. So he's, he's taking home less than less than 500K. Then living in New York, running you know a $10,000 mar- uh, month apartment and grazing family. Like at the end of the year, you can save like $100,000, right? So even though he's making a million and he thinks he's a millionaire and he thinks that he's got this lifestyle of a millionaire, he's not he's he's got that not that much to put away at the end of life. So I've always looked at things like okay, if you really want to build wealth and it's not going to get easier. Taxes are going up, inflation's going up, like it's going to get harder and harder. You have to build something. You have to build something and sell it or you have to make money that you can invest and make capital gains on. So that's always kind of been my focus in terms of trying to build wealth. And I think a lot of the things that we can dive into on this podcast are people that have created wealth doing exactly that, turning their earned income into capital gains. I like that a lot. Before we get to your, your investments that, that you've turned, mm-hmm. people are probably wondering, how did you get these mentors? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I got my mentors through hard work. Um, I grew up kind of middle, lower class in the US and Florida. Um, and when I was in college, I got arrested four times my freshman fall and it was all small misdemeanor things, uh, fighting, breaking a window, drinking, fake ID, stuff like that. But it was, it was to the point that I was getting kicked out of my major. I was, my, my uh, tuition was pulled. My parents were just like, you know, go get a job as a carpenter and figure out a skill or something. Uh, and my actual, uh, academic advisor goes, You'll, at the time, uh, coincidentally enough, I was a criminology major. And they're like, well, you'll never get a job with the state. You'll never get a job with the government. You have four arrests, right? So I had to create a, I, I went home and I was like, wow, I'm shit out of luck. I have, to, I have to create a business. I have to change my major to business. Wait, what did you have four arrests for? Underage drinking, underage drinking, criminal mischief, which was breaking a window, um, and then fake ID, which I got in a fight <laughs> at a bar and then they checked my ID and of course... So it's crazy. It was like all my freshman fall. Uh, it was in the state capital in Tallahassee. If there's any people from Florida State, and um, so it, it was like, it was a major life-turning t- event because I my basic my education was being pulled from me, and everyone was telling me you have zero job prospects. So I figured I have to create a business, right? So when I was in college, I I created a, a business, and I went at it really really hard, like. My grades were horrible, but I went out at this really, really hard. And when I went, became a senior, this business had, it was an internet project, had made no money, right? And, um, but I listed it on my, on my monster.com profile as the CEO of this business. And lo and behold, someone found it, called me up the week later and was like, I found, I saw your, your business. I love it. Like, would you be interested in selling it? And, um, one thing led to another, I sold it and, I ended up, this guy became my mentor. Like I went and worked for him. We built several businesses together over the last 10 years. And he, I've been extremely loyal to him because I feel like he gave me my opportunity. And not only that, he's trusted me with a lot of opportunities. And in, in return, he's been very loyal to me. He's introduced me to everyone in his network and everyone in his network has introduced me to more people. And I think if there's one thing I did at a good age, it was just really be loyal to good people people that are trying to give you opportunities to improve yourself improve your life be loyal to them go the extra distance to show your loyalty to them your appreciation for everything that they've done for you and that's just going to have a magnifying effect i like that a lot it's great advice uh, if you guys want an example of that we can watch the, the movie creed mm. 
don't screw over Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. But actually, so I have a friend. He uh, was a, a a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. You know, he was broke, didn't have much money. And I introduced him to a guy who I knew who owned a bunch of casinos mm-hmm. and was a proper multimillionaire. Would, he would go to this guy's house, train him, and he would, you know, try to get either business advice or, like, you know, just try to, you know, uh, try to get this guy to be his mentor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this guy had, you know, real, even though he liked him as a person, he didn't really have a reason to mentor this young, you know, kid. Yeah. Uh, so what he did uh, was, you know, my friend Sonic, he started his own business. He started a food truck and, you know, kind of against everyone's uh, better judgments of starting a restaurant. But he worked hard, he hustled, he ended up selling it, and he cashed out about 30K. Yeah. And that caught JP's attention, the mentor. And he said, you know what? If you can do that, you, you know, you've proven that you can, you can work hard, you know, you have, you're business-minded, let me mentor you. And today, they are in business together. And it's, it's pretty much the same story as, as you know, what, you, what you mentioned, but also, I think, how a lot of businesses start, how a lot of mentorships start. Mm-hmm. You have to put in the work first and show that you can do it on your own. It doesn't even have to be a good business. You just have to show that you have, you know, that you have the, the hustle and the mindset to finish it and see it through. Absolutely. And I think the, the number one way in the world for anyone to get rich, and the, the, the earlier start, the better, is the exact same way as it was 5,000 years ago, and that's to get a mentor. And you can call mentors whatever you want, but smart people, driven people that have had success in their life, they want to help people reach that because they feel privileged and fortunate to have gotten to that position. And when they see somebody that's younger, that reminds them of themselves, that are just willing to hustle, willing to put everything on life on hold to reach a certain point of success and to improve their life, people, the whole universe confines to, to make that happen, right? And people, you know, are willing to lend a hand. Um, and you can see that with all types of successful people. They always have people that they're mentoring and helping out. And, I, you know, but no one's going to do that unless they see that effort. Yeah, and people don't even necessarily need, you know, age really doesn't matter that much because you are younger than me, but you are far more successful. Mm-hmm. But one of the, I would assume, and maybe you can answer this, is one of the reasons why you want me to partner with you on this podcast uh, and that we were sitting here today in your apartment doing this is because that you see, I actually do the work. I like I don't I don't just talk about doing stuff or daydream about doing stuff. I actually you know put in the effort. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, you've built an awesome podcast, and uh, we just we get along on a lot of levels uh, and have very similar minds. I think, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely, it doesn't matter the age, but I think um, it's harder to take initiative the older you get. And the universe really rewards initiative. And I think in in so many cases, especially the older we get, we get into reaction mode and response mode. We wake up, we handle emails, we return phone calls and messages. But if you, I just did this recently because I felt myself getting into a lag. I went to Hong Kong specifically to turn the engine back on. I went there and all I did is I, I put email on hold, I put everything on hold. All I did was initiative, put myself into uncomfortable positions, forcing myself to, to call people and ask for meetings, going and speaking to VCs, going in, around and like literally like knocking on doors and figuring out what people are doing, taking them to dinner and like just networking really. And it's amazing how many things start turning up and like good good things start turning up when you start when you start taking back the initiative and get out of response mode. So I think it's just easier to have initiative when you're younger. You don't have so many things in life that you have to manage. You can just think about moving forward and, and networking and. So I definitely recommend anyone that's that's 
at any age, but especially when they're young, just take advantage and go out and get the initiative on your side. I like this. We have a lot of uh, excellent like to-do action points. Mm-hmm. What are some you know mistakes that that either you've made or people you know your mentors, people you've known have made that you you know you want to to put out there so other people don't make it? I think the biggest one is um, well, on, uh, let's just say on an investing front, the biggest one that always comes to my mind is is not being diversified, right? Mm-hmm. And this is boring stuff to talk about because everyone talks about it, but not many people know someone who's lost $15 million in a bank. That will wake up anyone's eyes, right? Because if you can lose $15 million in a bank, you can lose 15, you can lose money anywhere. Banks historically have always been the safest place to keep money, right? But now a bank is not, it's not what you think it is. You give a bank your money, that bank's not sitting in a vault. They're lending that out and they're lending it out leverage. So the money's not ever really there. Um, so there's just things like that have gone, you know, on an investing front, I would say that's the biggest thing. I've seen people lose a lot of money. I had a, I just had a friend that sold his business for $400 million. And he put the money in a bank. And now he's going sailing around the world. And when you're sailing around the world and you don't have internet access or connectivity for like four weeks, um, you know, a lot of things can happen. I and mean, imagine having that much money in a bank, right? So I just see things like that now that normally, if I hadn't had that experience, you could have never convinced me that putting all my money in a bank would have been safe, right? Or not have been safe, so. Well, if it wasn't for all the different uh, housing crashes, mm-hmm. people would assume, you know, buying a house is the safest investment. And yeah. I've, known, I've, I've known friends who have lost over $10 million in the housing bubbles. Yeah. And they did everything correctly too. They, you know, they, they weren't even over leveraged. It just happens. Absolutely. And another thing that a lot of people do when they run into money is they go out and buy a, a home on the spot and they don't realize what the carrying cost of that house are. So we're sitting here in, in Chiang Mai, Thailand and the apartment we're sitting in right now has an HOA fee of $50 a month and it's got zero property taxes. So if I leave for the year and I n- never visit this place, it costs me all of about $600 to maintain it throughout the year. Lock the door, close it up, right? Which is the HOA of for one month in places like California. Absolutely. So I have now I have a friend that lives in Miami. He's got a penthouse they bought for $900,000. It's now worth about $1.5 million. His property taxes every month are $2,500. His HOA fees every month, get this, $3,500. So $6,000 in HOA and property taxes just to hold it. So if he doesn't, if he's not there all year, $70,000. That's more than most people make a year. I mean, it's crazy. So you go, you, know, you come into money, you go buy a property like that, beautiful penthouse, you know, and then all of a sudden you don't have that much cash in the bank and you realize, holy shit, it's going to cost me $70,000 a year to maintain this. Maybe the market goes down. Maybe you have, you know, and then you have to foreclose on something like that. So it's what happens to like so many sports stars and rappers. And, you know, you always got to figure in the uh, what the carrying costs of any type of investment are going to be. I mean, people, you know, there's that big controversy. Is 50 Cent really broke or is he just trying to hide? Mm-hmm. And what people don't realize, it's, it's pretty easy to be broke, even if you make you know, tens of millions a year, even hundreds of millions a year, if you are buying liabilities and not buying assets. That's very true. And I think, you know, there's an old saying that people spend their entire life trying to create wealth and then the rest of their life trying to preserve it. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've realized just over the last two years, granted, the market hasn't been great, is just how hard it is to maintain wealth. Um, it's extremely hard to grow it, depending on 
on um, you know if you come into a lump sum of money or, or you're, you're earning money, but it's extremely difficult. Or it's extremely hard to grow and it's very hard just to maintain it. Um, and I think, you know, so many people have that, that problem up and down from people that come into money or people that inherit money and are just trying to, to maintain it. Well, this is what this podcast is all about right. is once you have some money to invest, how are people like you and me mm-hmm. investing their money and uh, coming to this, you know, to the podcast soon is going to be people that have far more money than than either you or I. Absolutely. And that's I'm excited to learn from that. Yeah, definitely. But let's jump straight into what you're doing with your money. I think people are really curious. Like where like what is your portfolio look like right now? So I've initially when I started out, it was um, it was money in the bank and then I immediately moved a good portion of it into managed financial advisors and from that point on it's been just chipping away at lots of new and, and different investments. So I'll give you an idea. Of and those what, financial advisors now are gone, right? I still have one. Okay. Um, so I have about 30% of my net wealth in stocks and bonds. Okay. And of that, I have three different accounts. I've got a managed financial account. Then these are about 30% each. So it's equal money in each of them. I've got a managed financial account. When I folded my Morgan Stanley account, which is the other financial uh, managed advisor, I this, this, that was immediately after reading Money Master of the Game by Tony Robbins. I shifted all that money into Vanguard and started doing it that direct. So that's been about a year. And then most recently, I moved half of the money away from my other financial or managed financial account, we'll call it, to Wealthfront. And I know you just opened up a Wealthfront account. Mm-hmm. Wealthfront is something I'm super bullish on. I think it's... Um, it's ultra simple the, the options of what you can do with it are extremely limited, which are good for me because if there's a lot of options, I can just sit behind a computer screen and, and change things every single day. Um, and I think it's, I think it does things that no financial advisor could ever do because it's all automated. They call it robo investing. Um, and just for the listeners, the other big one is, is betterment. So they're, they're kind of apples, apples. Um, but of all three of my accounts on a percentage basis, Wealthfront was it's cream the other ones and it's much more aggressive. It's much more aggressive and the year is pretty flat. What 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 uh, risk rating like what through ten do you have yourself? I have mine at an eight currently. I saw yours was a ten. <laughs> that's just your style. That's my style, um, buddy. I love it, and and that's what you really sh- you should be doing at at our age is you should be if, as long as you can swing. I mean, you have great passive income streams, so you can swim swing the downturns. Um, so yeah, I'm on eight, and I had I've, I've had uh, about sixteen percent return on that account this year, and the market's mm-hmm. flat. So I've been really happy about that. My my Vanguard is something that I've been doing managing myself. Um, I originally had it in like five different Vanguard funds. I've now probably got twelve because I researched things, and I'm like, oh, this makes sense. I like this, right? But it's much more conservative. I got a lot of bonds in there. I have re, uh, re, REITs in there. I have um, tips. So like if you, if you read Tony Robbins book, what I did with, after reading that book is I went through and all the different kind of four seasons investments and I made a list of all of them. And then I kind of blended all those into like a, an overall four seasons investment. I've tried to pretty much emulate that in the Vanguard. So let me ask you, why didn't you go with Stronghold, the company that he recommended? Uh, I looked into it and it, it just seemed like a couple extra steps. And then there was always that, that hidden agenda that I thought there might be a bait and switch at some point. And um, everyone had been talking good about Vanguard. 
and in his book he talks good about Vanguard and my dad talks about Van everyone talks about Vanguard but I never really knew what Vanguard was until I kind of read that book and started comparing mutual funds of theirs to mutual funds everywhere and all of a sudden it made sense so I said this is ridiculous like that I haven't been doing this forever so for me Vanguard is a low risk like we've even looked up and we've sat next you and I have sat next to each other and and googled what happens if Vanguard gets nuked right mm -hmm. and these are all things that of course you need to be paying attention to um, what happens if Vanguard goes out of business what happens if Wealthfront goes out of business because it's a very real possibility right Vanguard's a Silicon Valley startup um, but in short they're safe right you own the stocks and the funds that are held within the mutual funds so unless but, the yeah. entire unless the whole world went to zero you're gonna be fine so the Van so Vanguard, if you guys aren't familiar with it, they are a American investment company. Uh, they currently hold three trillion dollars in assets, and it was started by a guy named John Bogle. Uh, you guys can just look up Vanguard yourself. You mm -hmm. can read Tony Robbins' book, but in general, they are just a super low low cost, super boring yeah. uh, investment company. Yeah, but super also super easy. Like you can spend a day getting set up, transfer money in and put money in funds so that, that's kind of like i like to think of the the only reason i have the three different ones is because i'm learning i like to learn if i only had one i'd probably just use vanguard but i like i like a little bit having the diversification and i like comparing the strategies and see and seeing what returns so uh, i've had a lot of fun playing with those i'm really excited about wealthfront um i just think the way that they do it smart so simple for for the average person and one thing um you know, there's always the saying that when everyone's talking about something, to be scared, right? Mm -hmm. Like if everyone's buying stocks, be scared. And now everyone is saying buy the S&P 500, mm -hmm. right? And I think it does make a lot of sense um, because the S&P 500 are multinational companies. So if the US stock tanks, most of the S&P 500, the companies make the majority of the revenues actually internationally. So it's really an international, it's almost like a total stock market play. But I would just caution, there's a, there's a great book uh, written by Harry Dent called Demographic Cliff. He he thinks that basically the U.S. is coming to a major demographic cliff that will stall us for about 10 years. And one thing that I always thought to myself is like, okay, if, if you could ask anybody on the street, will the stock market be up in 10 years? Like, let's say the Dow Jones will be up in 10 years. I think almost every single person would say yes, definitely. So if you believe that, you would just put money in there and forget about it. Mm -hmm. But if you were from Japan and invested in the Japanese indexes 30 years ago, they're fl it's flat on today. You, so you would have lost a ton of money by the time inflation kicks in and, and taxes on, on earned income and everything, right? So there's always that caution. There's no guarantee that markets will go up in five years, 10 years, even 50 years, right? Um, so I would actually, anyone who's thinking about investing in the market long term, I would read Demographic Cliff. It's just a good way to get an alternative viewpoint that's really statistically driven. Um, but that's why I am sort of against putting all my money into the S&P 500, okay. which historically has been a great thing to do. And what Warren Buffett says you should do with 90% of your money. But um, but you should always question things, especially when everyone's talking about doing it. And that's a really good point that, that you bring up. I like that a lot. L let me ask you. So you have you have all this cash mm -hmm. uh, from the big exit. Do you have any sources of other income right now besides investments? No. Um, no, it would be all investments. And so that's been, a, you know, when I put my money into the market um, or some of these like kind of fixed income investments, that's been a big uh, 
focus for me the last two years building up my fixed income again because when I was living when I was operating the business I was used to flying around everywhere I was flying business class and I had you know nice everything most of those expenses were on the business of course because I was running around the world like operating the business and then when that ended I'm still maintaining that lifestyle it's not my own paycheck right so just to maintain my my kind of current my my standard of living and and um so being international is a is a fairly big expense which i've been kind of toning down recently but i had no income to offset that i only had capital gains if all your money's in the market or you're invested in even in reits you know the, the reits pay like two percent it's, it's almost nothing right it doesn't beat inflation my annuities pay between two and three percent that's nothing it doesn't beat inflation so on a fixed income level it's very limited so i've been working to invest in a lot more um like property um actual uh physical reits in a sense like instead of doing it through an index like vanguard right. going direct so i have owned some in singapore that pay eight percent it's fantastic every quarter you get an email it says we're paying eight uh eight percent pa dividend what do you want it cash mm -hmm. boom cash it's like you're getting a paycheck right i love it um so that's been a big challenge is to get is to grow more fixed income and take away some of more of the capital gains uh, risk or, or capital risk, right? Which is which happens in stocks and stuff. So that's um, that's really been like a two-year quest, and I'm kind of at a point now that I'm growing enough fixed income. Granted, these are all, all from investments. I'm not not uh, taking a paycheck from anywhere at the time. Um, so yeah, there's um, now I've done a lot of private investments, and and my private investments I try to do something that that are a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. Now these only make up maybe five percent of my portfolio, but I do try to do ones that they they have other value outside of money, right, or income. So I invested, you know, Dan Norris. I invested in his brewery in Australia. Like that's awesome, right? I mean, you go down there twice a year, you hang out at the brewery, you're a co-owner, like, and it's tangible. You touch it, you see the team, you see the customers. Like, I love stuff like that. Will I ever make a dividend from that? Will I have a capital gain? I mean, I don't think it's going to lose money. I think it's regular, it's regularly, or um, it's it's somewhat low risk. Mm -hmm. But you're never going to make a crush on it, right? You're never going to kill it on it. But you get to enjoy it. Um, I did some recent property investments in Hong Kong with my buddy Kevin Shea, and it's it's uh, self storage. That's boring, but it gives me an excuse to go to Hong Kong three times a year and hang out and have dinners and meet the team. And so I'm doing a lot of more private investments like that. Money in Vanguard, you're not going to enjoy. You get to watch it grow or, or, or go down. But uh, um, but some of the private investments are a lot more fun. And I think the complexity, most people, if they have, let's say they have $50,000 they wanted to invest in, in startups, the complexity is just too, too overwhelming to try to figure out how to do the paperwork. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Once you dive into it and you understand the process of how to make a private investment or an angel investment, once you have that in your head, it becomes much more simpler. But from the outside of thinking how to structure that cross jurisdictions, it's too much. So that's another thing I'm excited to really explore um, during this podcast is hardcore angel investors that have made several investments and really outlining that strategy for somebody who might be interested in, in taking a plunge into into kind of the startup investment world. I like it, man. So much great content there. Mm -hmm. One big takeaway I got from that that I think everyone should should write down is even if you make a big exit for your company, immediately start another company mm -hmm. if for no other reason than to have 
a place where you can send your business expenses. Yeah. So when you're flying to Hong Kong first class, that's a business expense because you know, you're going on meetings there. Mm-hmm. When you're eating at these you know five star restaurants in Hong Kong with your business partners and you're enjoying life and having some great wine, it's a business expense because it's a meeting. Absolutely. When you find yeah. Australia to visit your brewery mm-hmm. that you're yeah. part owner in, it's yeah. a business expense. Yeah, I mean that's a big that's a big lifetime goal. I when I was um, 22 out of college, I started a website that ended up totally just going inactive. You could call that a fail, whatever you want. But my it was a travel website. I was trying to compete with TripAdvisor, mm-hmm. and my goal was that if you can create an international travel website or any type of international business, you can live your entire life as a business. Mm. Everywhere you go, you're flying to New York, you fly to London, you fly to Bangkok, you have an international business with business and all those outlets. Um, you can li- literally live your life on the business, which is, is I've been there before and it's fantastic. Um, so now trying to recreate that is, is obviously another goal of mine, um, something that you're doing fantastically well. And, um, and I think that was really good advice for the listeners. Like, if you can spread your investments out uh, into places that you happen to visit, anyways, then you can start taking business expenses for going to the places that you like, anyways. I like it, man. So, when that first year, when you get that big exit, t- tell me about taxes. Did you have to pay all that taxes up front, or how did that work? Um, the majority of the taxes were up front, yes, uh, because the majority of the payout was up front. Like what, like what percentage of the pay was up front and what's be occurring? For how it, was, it was meant to be about 50%, but it ended up being a lot more than that because the earnout that we that was, was the second part of the deal kind of went haywire and we ended up settling. So the majority of the, the majority of the tax was, was up front. And that was, extre- I mean, that was an extremely complicated thing that almost turned me off of business for, mm. for about six months. The fact that, when you build something up, that like the whole joy of that business was never the exit. I always thought it was going to be. I always daydreamed about like we're going to have this amazing party. But the truth is, like the this process of selling the business and the due diligence. We sold to a public company, so you would have thought we were selling Exxon Mobil, like fifteen thousand pages of due diligence we had to submit. The whole process was so exhausting that. After it was over, I literally was like, I don't ever want to build and sell a business again. I want to do something like lifestyle <clears throat> I, I like. And that goes into taxes too, because after we sold it, it was, it was, I had like three international law firms figuring out like how this whole thing is to be transacted and structured. And, and finally it got done. And, um, and then you, you know, take a couple months and you regroup and you realize, well, I still love business and go after it again. But you can be smarter. Uh, after going through something like that, you learn a lot about how to arrange things more appropriately so that if you get in that position again, it can be easier. Did you ever have that party? Um, I had a few of my own parties. <laughs> you know, it was, it was really interesting. Like we had four partners in the business and I think everyone was just so exhausted when it happened. Like that, and, and there was already, the anticipation wasn't there. It wasn't like someone called us up one day and was like, here's a check for, you know, X amount of money, right? It was like we had interested parties and then it took seven months and it was every day ups and downs. So by the time it happened, we're just like, we're done, right? Like I was in Asia, two of the guys were in Canada, one guy was in the UK and we all, I don't, I think we sent each other a text message (laughs) and then I went, I was in Singapore, I went out and partied and, um, 
<laughs> and yeah, and then it was, it was a fresh start, man. It was never as climatic as I, I wish I, I could have told people, like having a big yacht party and Playboy models everywhere. It was just, it was, um, it was just good to be done with yeah. and good to kind of look forward to the next chapter of your life. And but you know what? Technically, every single day is you know, not necessarily a party, but you know you're enjoying the the dividends from that, you know, or the 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 work that you put in from that every day. So yeah. every day it's a party. Yeah, I mean, financial wins don't um, don't take away your worry in life, but it, uh. it takes away a lot of your financial worry. Um, but it adds a lot of complexity too. I mean, I don't, I definitely don't envy these people that have billions of dollars. Mm. That's there is an aspect of having too much money. Um, and there's, you know, there's probably a right fit for everybody with the right amount of money that makes them happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where mine is. I mean, I can definitely tell you some of my happiest days were in college with dead broke and just run around like without any direction. So everyone's got different, um, you know, Mark Cuban's always like, he always says money can't make you happy, but if you're already happy, money can make you a hell of a lot more happy, right? <laughs> I like and, that. Um, <clears throat> so, out of curiosity, is there anything that you would change with your life if, you, if right now if you had more money? I would love to... I mean, the issue that I have right now is I'm, I'm trying to do too many things. Okay. Um, I'm basically split 50-50 between trying to go really, really hard at business and trying to go really hard at philanthropy. And it's difficult to do both. So, I just spent the last week over in the, uh, in the Philippines where I do some charity work. We're building playgrounds and I sponsor a few kids there. And when you're over there in that environment, you think that your whole life purpose is charita- charitable and that, that should be your only focus. And you kind of curse the business world and you see these people that you have the potential to make a massive impact in their life. And then you leave that and I fly to Hong Kong and I'm immediately submersed in very high energy business and I think to myself wow I just totally fell behind for the last week and my focus should be business now charity at a later point in life and it's so they're very conflicting you know because when you're in one mindset you're not thinking about the other mindset and you're putting it aside so they're hard to do in parallel I'm trying to I'm trying to do more and more philanthropy because it's something I believe very strongly in and something I want to make a huge part of my life but um if I had a uh, significantly more money, then you could start running your life like a business. You can have a PA that goes with you. You can have a financial advisor that literally travels with you and works with you full time. You can have a you know business development guide to start developing all of your ideas. So right now it's difficult because I have lots of ideas and I have lots of things that, that need management, and I'm trying to do everything and also man you know managing the investments and stuff. We can have people massaging us right now while well, getting. We're a supposed podcast. to be. We're, you know, we're actually pouring our own wine, which I think is ridiculous, <laughs> considering uh, the fact that Johnny has donated this. Um, for anyone who's not been to Stellenbosch in in uh, South Africa, it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Some of the finest wine in the world. And Johnny brought back a bottle. Uh, I guess how long have you had this? So it was actually uh, my my last girlfriend, Larissa. Uh, who have you met? She brought it back from South Africa under her last trip a few months ago. So I've been holding on to this for you. Oh, you're such a sweetheart. Yeah. So Johnny and I have gotten into quite a, a wine binge here in Chiang Mai. It's not <laughs> easy to get good wine in Chiang Mai. But I think that's what makes us appreciate it yeah. more, right? Because yeah. if, if it was so easy just to buy wine, like good wine, uh, it's it wouldn't be that special. But because it's so hard to get here and it's so expensive, when we do have it, it's it's amazing. So thank you to Larissa for, for supplying this. and um, Last sips for you. 
Oh, appreciate it, buddy. Yeah. And if, if any, you know, if anything, um, maybe that should be, this should be a theme of the podcast to have the uh, the wine. Or, ching ching. Ching ching. Or the whiskey. Wine or, or whiskey. Uh, nothing else, right? I think that's it, right? <laughs> yeah. It has to be one. So today's, well, let me see that, the label of that so we can see what that actually is. It's a, it's a Shiraz from Stellenbosch. Okay, so, yep. And then it's a Creative Block 2012, uh, inspired by the Creative Block art project at Spear. So I've actually been to this winery in Stellenbosch in Cape Town. It's a beautiful place. And if you guys ever go there, for, I think it was something ridiculously cheap, like $6 or something, yeah. they gave us six glasses of wine with three chocolate pairings to taste it all. It's incredible down there. And I, I think so many people have been to Cape Town and have not gone to Stellenbosch. And I, it would be the biggest mistake ever. Stellenbosch is easily one of my favorite places in the world. We actually we went down on a trip to Cape Town. We we're supposed to be in Cape Town for seven days. On the last day, we went to, St- to Stellenbosch, and we said, "Hold it! Like we gotta we gotta extend our trip." And we ended up staying another ten days in Stellenbosch. Wow! Every day, vineyards, playing golf. The scenery is unreal. Mm-hmm. the The value is as good as Chiang Mai, mm-hmm. as good as anywhere in the world, and much much classier. Um, it's just, it's a really really fantastic place in this world, and I don't know many people that have been there. Basically, you and the yeah, guys I, I, I went with, and that's about it. So, and I, to be honest, if I wasn't dating a South African girl, I there would there would have been no reason mm-hmm. for me to go there, mm-hmm. um, especially Cape Town, because it's kind of even more out of the way. It's so isolated, yeah. isn't it? But yeah, great place in the world. So, all right. But you know what? Another reason for all of us to make more money with our investments, so we can be there sipping wine while watching our our investments grow. Oh, definitely. So there's like the, we have so many awesome people that we've talked about interviewing for this. Um, hardcore VCs, angel investors, Forex traders, peer-to-peer lending, uh, you know, people that, that uh, are representatives of Melch, uh, Wealthfront, some of these robo-advisors, people that have sold their businesses, what are their strategies, people at all different types of wealth levels. Um, and really dissecting those things. And I'm extremely curious because I just think we will learn so much and, and be able to piece together specific strategies for all types of digital platforms, all types of different wealth levels, um, entrepreneurs, turned investors, which is becoming such a common theme, um, especially like in the nomad space where we're here now, right? Like everyone's, I have people writing me every day, like how to invest in, in Chiang Mai property. Um, so there's, there's all types of good content that we're gonna be able to get out of this. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, me too. So I, I, in the next episode, it's gonna be about my investments. Uh, so if you guys don't have millions of dollars yet and wanna kinda of know how to kinda of get started, uh, I'm gonna talk about that. If you guys wanna know how Sam so, built and sold his company, which sold for a total of $100 million, uh, and Sam was one of the, the partners in there. Uh, you can watch his entire speech at the 2016 Nomad Summit. And the speech is completely free, so you can just go to the show notes of investlikeaboss.com, episode one, and we will have that link there as well as a link to everything else we talked about. So uh, anything else you want to bring up or mention? No, um, I'm getting, we're getting started on the podcast right away. We have interviews set up in Bangkok, Singapore, Hong Kong. So we'll be able to get together, I think, six or seven really high quality ones coming up. Um, and we'll try to keep them light and interesting as investing, I think, traditionally is just so boring to listen to. It's hard enough to get in, getting through someone's book. I mean, Tony Robbins' book is like 
I listened to it on Audible, it's 26 hours or something. Yeah, I, I read the book right. on my Kindle. It was oh, God. like three, 400 pages right. or something crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think uh, we'll do a really good job at, at trying to be totally transparent and getting real returns and real strategies for investing in very niche types of platforms. Um, and like I said, we have a lot of good ones set up in the next month, so we should be able to put out some good content and... We'll uh, maybe even stick to this wine and whiskey vibe. We'll see how it plays out. I think it'd be good. If we <laughs> want to reach out to you, what's the best way to find you? Uh, we should set up an email maybe at the domain. Okay. Um, uh, or they can email me at uh, sammarks1. at gmail.com. But yeah, let's, uh, let's set up emails at the domain and maybe open up comments and yeah. phone boards and stuff there. Well, definitely. Just go to uh, investlikeabosspodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, look for episode one. Just leave a comment there. Let us know what questions that you have, who you want us to interview, you know, what kind of things that you're interested in. Because this podcast isn't just for me and Sam. It's, it's for you guys. You know, it's, it's honestly a way for Sam and I to have an excuse to reach out to really high-level people that are a lot smarter or richer than us and pick their brains and you know, extend that to everyone here listening. So I'm really excited about that. If you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Uh, either you know through iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your favorite podcast app is. And if you want uh, to help this podcast grow, we'd really, really appreciate it if you gave it a rating, especially in the iTunes store. Uh, this is our goal for the, these first you know five or ten episodes is to be able to get onto the new and noteworthy section of iTunes because that is what really launches us and gets us exposure and gives us you know, the audience to be able to share this knowledge. Mm-hmm. So it takes a few minutes. It's a bit clunky, but if you've gotten some value out of this podcast, you want to hear more, please, please, please go to your iTunes app on your on your uh, Mac or your PC. Uh, search for Invest Like a Boss podcast. Uh, go to, you know, subscribe to it. Click on ratings and reviews and add a review. Uh, we'll give you a shout out in the next episode. And we really, really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. All right, so I'll see uh, all of you guys next week. All right, concluding episode one. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.